today on CityCast Madison. Voice-activated technology is everywhere. Hey Siri. And some major businesses, including banks, are starting to use your voice like a fingerprint to confirm your identity, to say, your bank account. Awesome, right? Well, a team of computer scientists and engineers at UW-Madison proved that these can be hacked with hardware store PVC pipe and math. I know. So we tracked down the researchers, PhD students Shema Ahmad and Yashwani and their engineering professor Kasim Fawaz. It's Tuesday, September 5th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Hi, Professor Fawaz. Hi. Hi, Shema. Hi, Bianca. Hi, Yash. Hello. So your lab has figured out how to trick computers into thinking you're someone else by simply speaking through a tube. You didn't even need to record their voice or generate it with a computer. Shema, how do these voice ID systems work? So that's a system that is usually used in like identify people by their voice, like Siri, for example, on your phone. It only responds to the phone owner by knowing their voice print, but that's not a big problem. The problem is banks and financial institutions where they use this technology to identify and authenticate customers over the phone. So that's the system we broke with our attack. Yeah. So I didn't even know that was happening. Like I know Siri and Alexa, those sorts of things, um, or those sorts of apps, people play music or, you know, pull up directions, but. Professor Fawaz, like people are also using it for authentication services? Yes and no. Do you have an iPhone? I do. You have Siri enabled? Let's see. Hey, Siri. Yep, she popped up. Hey, girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> Siri should be responding to you, not to me, right? Right. So this feature is called personalization. It's supposed to hear only your voice. So that's the core technology enabling voice authentication. They ask you to talk at the beginning, then they record a few seconds on your voice, and then they extract what's called a voice print. It's very similar to a fingerprint. And then they store it in a database somewhere. And then when you're talking again to a system, it tries to extract the same voice print and compares them. If they match, then you get access to the system. Otherwise, you don't. And so some major banks, they're using this technology, and they're saying it's totally secure, like as secure as a, as a fingerprint. But your research, it sounds like, is saying otherwise. Shima, walk me further through how this works. So it actually started with, we wanted to build a system that make voice identification secure. And then while like reading about this technology and playing around with it, we found that, for example, if you cover your mouth, my voice will change a little bit. If you talk through a box, your voice will change a little bit. The echo in the room will change the signal that the microphone receives. And then it came to my mind that this is very similar to musical instruments because basically if you have a flute or something, you just blow air in it and it shapes that air into notes and frequencies that we hear as music. So the simplest ever like musical instrument is just a tube. <laughs> and yeah, and it was during COVID when we were like building this idea and the only tube I had at home was like the kitchen paper towel tube, the cardboard tube. And then we started building a model, a mathematical model of what exactly that tube does. So we had the math, 
the measurements and then the system to break, which is the voice identification. And it worked. It, it took a lot of work to make it work. You're talking about, you know, just anyone being impersonated, right? Like someone trying to break into someone's bank account. Yes, exactly. So you pick your victim and then you try to find the tube that works for both of you, like something that will map me to you, for example. Oh my goodness gracious. Can you walk me through, Shima, just how this works? Again, it goes back to that machines and humans distinguish voices differently. So machines basically look at the frequency content of the signal. It receives a voice. For, for the machine, the voice is just a signal. It looks at the frequency pattern, and that's how they determine if it's me or you. So that's you. What it does, it's a transfer function. It transfers my pattern of frequencies to another person's pattern to fool the machine. So that's the simplest description of mathematical model. So look at the external tube as an extension of your throat. If you design it in a, in a, in a mathematical way, you can change the voice. That's amazing. I love that you figured this out during COVID. And I can't believe you're able to hack someone's voice using a PVC pipe. So you got, you're, no, you're not using paper towel tubes anymore. You're using um, you know, something more technologically um, advanced. Uh, and so I want to bring in you, Yash, to talk about that. You worked on the pipes that came from a hardware store. What all do you need in order to do this? So you don't really need much. Most things you can probably buy at the store like Ace Hardware because you get a bunch of PVC pipes with different lengths and diameters. And if we don't have access to those, or if they don't make it in the size you need, you can just 3D print them. That's also something we tested. And so are you like looking at thinking about them like they're like plastic throats? <laughs> One way of saying it, yeah, extension of a throat, not a throat entirely. <laughs> but you kind of get what I'm putting down. Professor, uh, can we differentiate these from deep fakes? Like what's different than the technology that's already out there? Oh, certainly they're very different. So by definition, it's a machine generated voice. There is an algorithm that has generated a wave file that you have to play through a digital speaker. That's a deep fake. What we're doing is we're introducing an analog structure. There's no digital components by which you shape your voice. So my voice is still there. Then I'm shaping it through some analog device and that's changing the features of the voice. So, so for example, trying to impersonate you, I mean, you have a podcast, right? I can get your voice samples online and then we can impersonate you and generate deep fake voices. Um, so I can make you say anything. A tube, would it exactly sound like you? So if Shaima is talking through a tube, the machine will hear it like as if you're talking, but not a human. Right. Analog versus digital, physical, but it doesn't really sound much like a what we think it does. Shema, you did a little bit of this that you try to trick a computer into believing you're Lisa Kudrow from Friends. Yes. <laughs> which I love. Thank you for choosing Phoebe, firstly. And secondly, can can we hear this? Yes, sure. Phoebe was one of the victims I could impersonate. So yes, uh, I have a sample. There was nothing on the rock. So that was a voice sample that I used through a tube. It goes through a tube that the machine thought that this is Phoebe. That's so interesting because it doesn't sound like it would trick too many people, but you're, you're telling me that it did fool a computer. Yeah, so so what we found as, and this is some mathematical modeling, 
a tube sh shifts the pitch of a voice signal, technically speaking, because these voice identification systems are very sensitive to the pitch of the sound. Now, if I change my pitch slightly, you're not gonna be fooled, but the computer will be fooled. Because the computer is ain't no human, and we actually are pretty special. <laughs> this is just to say that we should not use these systems in security-sensitive applications, because we don't fully understand how machine learning systems perceive signals. We don't understand how they view an image. We don't understand how they actually listen to a signal. And now saying, well, we're gonna just gonna use them as a security for a security-sensitive application. I think we just need to take a step back and understand very well the security properties. Definitely. I mean, I was just thinking, now this blueprint is just out there? Like, how do you feel about that? We're not the first to say that these systems are broken. People know they are broken. So I just want to say set that on the record. But we were just saying that the way people thought they can be defended is fundamentally flawed. If your defense is saying, well, we can distinguish between a human and a digital speaker, I just showed you how a human can impersonate others without using a digital speaker. So what do you do now? Yeah, I, I love it. You guys are the squad kind of like <laughs> testing the immune system here, like trying to make sure that all of the defenses are covered and clearly they're not from the research that you've done. Exactly. It's wild hearing that clip because you really would think that the computer would catch that. It's, uh, it's just like, what do you mean the computer was fooled? Shima, why are humans better at detecting voices than computers? Good question. I guess humans, we have like, a, we mix a lot of signals together to get to a conclusion. So it's not just my voice print, it's also how I speak, maybe the language I use, the pattern, like um, tempo as well, like how slow or fast I talk. But machines, again, we give them a signal and machines learn through a complicated network or complicated mathematical model, they learn to differentiate different signals apart. And as Kasim said, we are not entirely sure how those machines separate the signals. So yeah, as long as we don't know exactly how machines learn to differentiate those signals, we can still fool them more than we can fool humans. We can fool both of them. You know, deepfake can also fool humans into believing that someone is impersonating another person, but for machines, it's even easier. Professor, y'all's research shows that our devices are not as safe as we think. What does this mean for us, big picture? I mean, they do mean that they're not as safe as we think. <laughs> I fed you the answer, did I? You did, you did. <laughs> uh, I think for this particular case, they mean we should not use voice as, uh, as the sole means to get access to a system. We should always thinking about multimodal or multi-factor authentication, like passwords, second-factor authentication, um, passcodes. Uh, biometrics might be one modality, but it shouldn't be the only way to do it. Also, it has a bigger implication around how machines perceive sound. In most of these security applications of, of voice, there's an assumption that there's a source of the sound, there's a microphone which is receiving the sound, and there's air between them. And all of the models are trained with that assumption. What we showed is you can break this assumption. And the bigger implication, I guess, is the following. When we're developing systems and we're deploying systems to make assumptions, the attacker doesn't have to live with our assumptions. If the attacker challenges these assumptions, then whatever security or safety properties we perceive are completely gone. And this is just one classic case of this concept. After you, ex you guys have explained it, I'm almost surprised that someone didn't think of this. Let me tell you why people didn't think of this. Like people know that you can't fool voice identification. So this has to be clear to your listeners. We're not the first to say that. I mean, and we don't want to overclaim this. Most of this research was done by computer scientists. 
So computer scientists deal with uh, with software. A voice signal to them is not a signal, it's just a, a file of one and zeros. We are computer scientists slash engineers, so a signal is a signal. We have knowledge of the physical domain and we have knowledge of software. So that allowed us to actually conduct that research. You needed the human. Is this good news? <laughs> we needed the human, we needed the signal processing and the software knowledge. We're good at this in this part of research. That's really, it's good, you know, looking out for the, the everyday man out here. <laughs> Shima, what's next for the lab? We did not succeed at impersonating any arbitrary target. Like, for example, I can impersonate Phoebe, but I cannot impersonate Rachel, for example. I couldn't find a tube that maps me to Rachel. And also, it was very hard to get a female impersonating male and vice versa, male impersonating female. It was easier to impersonate people from the same sex. So that's also another limitation of the tube as a very simple structure. So right now we are looking at how to extend that structure into something more like a stronger attack. Basically, we're looking at more complex shapes that we can also mathematically model something more complex than a tube that give us more degrees of freedom or more capabilities of attacking or impersonating a lot of other like identities that we couldn't reach with a simple tube. A larger range. You and other computer scientists who are working on this are kind of ahead of the curve of at least some of these major banks who are, are already using this technology right now. Yeah, so we are not sure what the banks are implementing exactly as a technology because it's closed. It's not like public what models they are using. Uh, but we, what we managed tech is a very, very similar technology what, to what we assume the banks are using. So, But we cannot say really conclusive results or conclusive like um, comments about what the banks are using and how secure it is because we don't have access to it. But yeah, the technology is very similar. You have good knowledge. Yes. Yeah, very similar good knowledge to believe it's extremely similar. So takeaways, use multi-factor authentication. Yep, definitely. All right. I'm seeing three heads nod. You guys rock. Keep rocking. Rocking everything and um, doing all the science for us. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's UW Madison electrical and computer engineering PhD students Shema Ahmad and Yashwani and their advisor, UW Madison assistant professor Kasim Fawaz. They're all researchers at UW Madison's Wisconsin Privacy and Security Group. They also had a number of collaborators on this research. The co-authors of the study are Ali Shaheen Sham Sabadi of the Allen Turing Institute, Mohamed Yagani and Nicolay Paperno of the University of Toronto and Vector Institute, and Ilya Shumailov of the University of Oxford and Vector Institute. If you want to check out their research, which was just presented at the USNIC Security Conference, by the way, we'll toss a link to it in our show notes. <laughs> Here's what else Madison's talking about. Pipes, baby. On the topic of musical tubes and hitting the right pitch, Madison's Flute Club is calling all flute players to their fall open house tonight. If you're a flautist and are inspired to dust that metal tube off and find some community, you can go meet the directors and members. They say bring your flute too if you'd like to join in on an open rehearsal. We'll toss a link to that event in our show notes. And the further showcase of what humans can accomplish, particularly with skilled lungs. It's the Ironman Expo season. That marvelous triathlon starts 
this Thursday and runs through Sunday, which if you've been around for these in the past, you know it's quite the spectacle and draws not only crowds, but also a couple of road closures around the Capitol Square. You can expect the 200 block of MLK Jr. Boulevard to be closed starting tomorrow after the farmer's market going through next Monday. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with the cleverest person you know? You know, the one who always thinks of an ingenious, simple fix to something everyone's overlooked. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then. Smelly cat, smelly cat, what are they feeding you?